there's a kind of a gap there, a need there for those kinds of services in a lot of businesses. Because if you don't have a partner in your business that is the finance guy, that is sort of the person who manages the money and is always looking out for that and honestly getting the great information that comes from managing the money, you're basically have a gap, you know, in, in what you need to be doing for your business. So I'm starting to fill that gap now with my new work. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Joe DeSanto, and today we're talking about what the FIRE movement gets wrong about real estate investing. If you're not familiar with the FIRE movement, very briefly, FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retired Early or financially independent, retired earlier, generally some iteration around that, which is you know a great goal that I think many of you out there are aiming for. And there is a movement around that, the FIRE movement, which tends to have some misconceptions about real estate investing, which we are digging into today with Joe DeSanto. Joe is a semi-retired, multiple business owner who has been a real estate investor for quite a long time, and has used a few different strategies that we're going to dig into in this interview. So I know there are many of you out there who are aiming for financial independence and you wanna retire early and you're thinking real estate might be the way. And if you're out there listening to various fire movement podcasts, you may find that they don't seem to get things right about real estate investing. So that's what we're digging into today in this conversation with Joe DeSanto. Great information. You're going to learn a ton. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call with me. I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see your reviews, I get to see your comments, and I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you enjoy the show and you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to look us up and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. Once again, our guest today is Joe DeSanto. We're talking about what the fire movement gets wrong about real estate investing. And, you know, from the other direction, what we as real estate investors sometimes get wrong about the fire movement. A lot of great lessons in this one. Without any further ado, here we go. Joe, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Been a great conversation so far, and I know you have a lot of knowledge that our listeners are going to get a lot from today. For those out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do, where you come from, your business, and you know all that great stuff? Then we'll dive into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, these days I do. Well, technically, I I consider myself sort of semi-retired. I guess not. I guess I consider myself that because these days I am kind of a part-time or fractional CFO. So I do um, basically money management, business management for a handful of businesses, but I also do the money management for a handful of high-income individuals. Some of 
of which own those businesses I just mentioned. And I do that work part-time now, running my blog, which is called playlouder.com, where I share and evangelize all sorts of information about personal finance, investing, particularly real estate investing, and entrepreneurship. But prior to this, I spent most of my career in Los Angeles, where I started and ran uh, multiple businesses in the entertainment and advertising space and kind of built up the main business to, I don't know, on average, about 40 employees or so. But after having uh, our son, uh, when I was 40, uh, my wife and I decided that we wanted to have more time for him and work less and be less stressed and all that. So we decided to get out of the businesses. My partners cashed me out, which was very nice of them. And my wife and I moved to Florida about three years ago. And we're you know living that more relaxed, less stressed, less overworked life. But prior to having a kid, I really loved working. I loved owning a business, and and like I was all about it. It wasn't it wasn't a bad thing. But once you have kids, you know they take up a lot of time. As I was saying to you earlier, apparently I didn't, I didn't know that. So we decided to prioritize that. But in leaving, honestly, my partners were like, "Hey, you know, I always did. I, among other things, I I managed the money and and sort of was the." the business quote unquote partner of the operation. So they asked me if I would, you know, just stay on to kind of be the CFO and they would, I don't know, just pay me, you know, like as a consultant or something. I said, sure. And then that just kind of naturally grew. Other people I know who own businesses were like, hey, you're doing that now? You do that for us. And and I quickly learned that, you know, there's there's a kind of a gap there, a need there for those kinds of services in a lot of businesses. Because if you don't have a partner in your business that is the finance guy, that is sort of the person who manages the money and is always looking out for that and honestly getting the great information that comes from managing the money, you're basically have a gap, you know, in, in what you need to be doing for your business. So I'm starting to fill that gap now with my new work. Awesome. So all about the money, you're the money man. And we were talking about this before we started recording. And, you know, now that you're you're in the blogging and personal finance space, and you're also working on that for the the various uh, CFOs, business owners uh, that you you work with, rather, mm-hmm. I'd like to dig into w- what the fire movement gets wrong about real estate, and maybe from the other angle, what real estate investors get wrong about building true financial independence. So. Let's, you know, dig into that and, and talk about, you know, your thoughts of what they get wrong. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I because, you know, as I said, I'm sort of like consider myself semi-retired and just de facto, I guess I'm a little bit of uh, the ilk of the fire movement, though I'm not like officially one of the folks who, you know, is, is usually talked about in that sense. But I guess, you know, what I, what I think a little bit, I don't know if they get it wrong, but, you know, I'm like... I'm a very much do the numbers, do the math. Like I also call myself sort of a do-it-yourself entrepreneur. And like, I'm not afraid for things to be kind of challenging and and for them to take time for you to do well and that sort of stuff. And I think that, well, particularly with real estate and sort of related into the people who talk about it in the fire movement is they just kind of gloss it over and make it seem like it's this just super easy passive income thing. You know, you just plop down, you you find some houses, you buy them and it just works out super well and there isn't much work to do and and all that. And I just, you know, not that I want to discourage anyone from doing it, but 
I just, I, you know, it makes me nervous when I feel like people maybe go into it without really having the, like the most thorough understanding of it. And potentially, you know, it doesn't work out that great for them because they weren't prepared, you know, or, or they weren't ready to deal with the variety of things that can come up with real estate investing. So that's probably the thing that I think, you know, people get wrong a little bit about it or maybe don't do so right. I guess I should say the other thing about it is, you know, Real estate is, in my opinion, it's it's just like any other investment. Essentially, it's it's a vehicle for you to put in investable capital and get a return on. You know, and I mean, I I always jokingly say, like, unless you're going to go sit in front of your rental property in your car all day and just sort of like bask in its awesomeness. It's just there to produce a return for you, which may come in the form of cash flow or may come in the form of appreciation or both, you know, which collectively would be your internal rate of return. So it's like you need to look at real estate in the returns that you're getting on it in relation to other potential investments that may be easier to do. Like obviously the you know, stock market, say you invest in dividend stocks, that's super easy. It's very liquid. You just buy something and you don't really do anything else. Real estate is not like that. You do have to do research. It's not very liquid. You do have to like deal with tenants and make sure that it's performing well and and sort of treat it as a business. But I'm saying this all not to be discouraging about doing real estate. I think real estate for the the risk reward profile is, are, is better than stocks. I mean, at least for me, it has been that way. I think you get a superior return for lower risk in real estate. But it just comes at the cost of some work. And it's not a ton of work, but, you know, I like to think of doing real estate as like the perfect side hustle, really. It's something that can generate side income, like spendable cash flow for you today. And it's a business from which you will get actual tax benefits, both from the business perspective and also from the real estate ownership perspective. So, if you like the idea of real estate and you want to be being investing and getting a good return for a reasonable amount of risk, I think basically getting into real estate as your side business or side gig is the best thing to do. And then eventually it could become a full-time job for you, you know, but like a lot of times you go on the fire people talk or you, t- you go on other shows and it's like, yeah, you work your way up to a thousand doors and then just live the life of leisure. You're like, if you got a thousand doors, you're working full time, basically. Like you've just replaced your regular office job with a new real estate property management company. That's that's what's happened there. However, if you do do that, you also own that real estate. So you have a new job that potentially you like better. It's producing a good income for you. I, I assume, you know, a, a full time or more po- of positive cash flow and you own the real estate from an investment perspective. So it, it's it's a good thing to do, particularly if you hate your cubicle job. But, you know, it's not no work, you know, so I and but I, that's not a bad thing. Like I like, to, you know, I don't know what it is. I feel like the world, uh, you know, sometimes like we got to make it super easy, you know, for people to be interested in it. Like if it's a little hard, they'll just like they just won't do it, you know. And, and I don't know, as a coach, you know, and I do coach both individuals and businesses, you know, I'm like if if you need like things to be so easy just for you to be interested, well, I I'm not a good coach for you because life isn't easy. It's not hard to it's not easy to make a lot of money. It's not easy to retire early. Like it takes a lot of work and effort and and interest, you know. 
And that's a good thing. It shouldn't be looked at as a bad thing or, or, or something to discourage you. Totally. So one of the things that we get as real estate investors, as opposed to you know, stock and bond investors, is we do have more responsibility. Typically, it's, it's maybe more active than stock and bond investing, which can stock and bond investing can be much more put on autopilot, you know, however you want to do it. But as real estate investors, one thing we get to do is control our business plan. We can make decisions about, hey, am I going to raise rents or am I going to do change the finishes to get better income from the property or whatever, you know, change my property management or whatever you're going to do. And but that comes with a the cost of additional time and and mental energy. So I think I, I would say I agree with you that it's not uh it's it's nowhere near as uh quote unquote passively easy as stock and bond investing. Yeah. I mean, the the most passive versions of it, at least from my experience, are going to be true turnkey rentals. You know, because I owned a bunch of those. I was in California and I bought places in Kansas City and in Memphis and in Austin, Texas. And that that's pretty handoff. You're basically managing the manager. The problem is, you know, the financials are tougher to get to work. And unfortunately, with the property managers, you're your interests and their interests are not in alignment. You know, it's like the almost the worst you do, the better thing, <laughs> you know, and that's okay. Like they got to make their living and have it be a worthwhile endeavor for them. But the the numbers and essentially in terms of rent versus purchase price have to be pretty favorable. And I don't know that they're favorable enough these days, you know, for that model to, to work super well. I mean, if you know, you can sustain negative cash flow, which you shouldn't want to have to do that. But if you can, you know, uh, and you kind of go for the longer term appreciation part or play there, you know, maybe it could work. But it's just, you know, real estate's so expensive right now. It's just really hard to get it cheap enough for turnkeys to work. Otherwise, syndications, I think, are like the truest form of passive income. Or I guess you could say if you want to go you sort of jump over to the stock market, basically REITs with good dividends are essentially, you know, the truest, most passive, I guess. But but syndications, I, I would rather do than REITs because I don't because REITs essentially are, are you know vulnerable to basically trading volume and the fluctuation of the stock market. So you're really more in the stock realm over there. But if you're going to do, you know, super hands off, you would kind of go the syndication route. And it's there's it's so much more accessible these days with all the platforms and so on. So it's a good thing. I think where you what you give up potentially a little bit there is the the larger scale appreciation of actually owning the asset yourself. I think you potentially could have more value there, but not always. And if it's a good syndicator, they know what they're doing. You know, they have good teams to to run the properties and you can end up with more cash flow, I think, through the syndications than with, you know, at least single family owner properties, which is a lot of what I owned. You know, I did better on those on the appreciation front. So I've been slowly sort of exiting them. And I've now been putting some of that equity into commercial real estate syndications. But I want more cash flow right now, you know, with my sort of semi-retired status. I can understand that. So one of the things that I like about syndications in particular is that I can get exposure to asset classes that I would have absolutely 0% chance in owning myself. Specifically, I would never go buy a mobile home park. I'm sorry, I just wouldn't do it. But through syndications, I can get access You know, through working with a, a syndicator. Now, for your turnkey rentals, approximately how many units did you buy and, and how long were you acquiring or, or holding your turnkeys till you started to 
sell them off. Yeah. I mean, I bought my first one in two thousand, all the way back 2007. Now it wasn't even a thing back then, turnkey. What that meant was I found a, a realtor in Austin. I was looking at different markets other than LA because I didn't really want to start buying rentals in LA because one, they're expensive and two, it's not a very favorable, it's more favorable for the tenant in terms of like local laws and stuff. So I found a kind of an investment oriented realtor in Austin, went down there I bought a place and he basically referred me to a property management company and that he liked. And I just took it from there and poof, you had what I guess, you know, sort of turnkey bit. Real turnkey is like, I guess, theoretically, the the person who sells you the property is also the property manager. And it's like, you know, truly out the door done and, and they're managing it for you and everything. And between then and I don't know, up to 2016, I bought a total of like 10 properties, all single family. I don't know why, you know, you just, there's some things that sort of go in a little bit on instinct of what you like. I, I felt more comfortable with the single families because I thought potentially they would do better on appreciation, you know, because anything that's more than two units, largely it's going to be the, the price and the value is going to be based off of rents. And my kind of methodology was I was buying them, you know, from as an investor, from investors more like on that pricing approach. But then when I went to sell them, I would sell them retail. I wouldn't sell them to another investor because obviously the retail is where you get the actual owner occupant. They're going to pay more. They're going to buy a little bit more in emotion. You know, if it's a tough market and they've put in six offers and they haven't gotten anything, you're going to get a little more money out of them. So that that worked out to actually be a pretty good strategy. And so I kind of started selling them on a 2018-19, like couple a year, basically. And then I, when I moved to Florida, I was like, oh, well, you know, the, the math on the turnkeys was like very up and down. You know, sometimes I have good cash flow and then then it get unwound by some <laughs> some event or, you know, the, the property manager would basically, you know, S the bed, so to speak, and not get it rented out quickly enough. I mean, you know, it's it's when you do it for yourself and it's your money, obviously you move faster and, you know, that kind of thing. But again, I, I was coming from a market where I couldn't really own properties in my own market. So once I moved to Florida, I was like, all right, I'm going to sell sell these slowly and get out, get rid of the uh, out of having them manage. And I'm going to buy some properties down here in Florida uh, and manage them myself. So I did that. And here in my particular area, the, the properties are, you know, two, two and a half times the price. So for five that I sold, I got two here. And I still own one of those. I, I decided to sell one of them actually at the end, at the end of last year, closing December, just because the market here just went bananas. And I was like, eh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want more cash flow. I was doing better on the cash flow front, having them here, managing them myself. But I was like, I'm going to sell this and see if I get some more cash flow and some syndication deals. So I found this syndicator that I kind of liked and their thesis is just, you know, strictly more yield, yield oriented projects, like maximum yield versus, you know, value add or whatever. And I kind of diversified, like you were saying, into commercial properties, ones like in full industrial, ones like office park, ones retail, you know, so I kind of spread my risk around a little bit in the different types of real estate, essentially. And I still have the one rental here. And then, uh, you know, along the way, I should say too, I mean, I, I for my business in Los Angeles, we sequentially bought two buildings and I own 
a pretty sizable commercial building in Los Angeles that my former business occupies. And essentially, I generate cash flow from that. So I've done, you know, a lot of single family rentals, but I've also like pretty much developed, renovated full project, like change of use development projects for two pretty sizable commercial properties um, in LA. Actually, I think you mentioned you listened to my episode on the, the the best real estate podcast ever, where I talked about my my woes of the renovation project of the last building. <laughs> yeah, a few weeks ago when we uh, when we reached out. So I'm curious about your 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 hindsight thoughts about the decision to get into turnkeys. You know, would you if you were to make the decision? all over again today, knowing what you know now, would you invest in turnkeys in the first place? Would you do syndications? Would you do something else? Was it the right you know, decision at the time, given the knowledge base that you have now? Yeah, I would do it again on the whole. It's you know, like, again, everything's, uh, it's all an investment and you do the numbers and with turnkeys, you just have to factor in both the cost of the management, but also the cost of the fact that the manager, again, is not entirely your friend, you know, so you're going to have more loss there with them. They're not going to bid things out well. They're going to do in-house work. They're going to over, you know, they're just going to, you're just going to spend more than if you really done it, did it yourself. And then I also think that when tenants deal with the actual owner versus a management company, I think they're, they're more comfortable complaining about things. Not, not that you shouldn't address all tenant concerns. I think you should, but you know, it's like the, the tenant, you know, I've literally had to pay for a plumber to go over and pull hair out of a drain. You know what I mean? Like, and you're like, I mean, if they had to call me about that and they were like, I don't know if Joe might literally come here. And if he just pulls a wad of hair out of this drain, one, it's just, I'm going to feel kind of dumb about that. But I don't even know if I want Joe coming like in my place, you know, like he doesn't know we have this dog over here. So like, you know, so they might try to pull that hair out of the drain themselves first. And honestly, that can add up. You know, maybe I'm wrong about that. I guess I don't particularly have the statistics to back my claim up there, but that's my instinct. But anyway, I would do it as long as you can get the the price of the house cheap enough. You know, I mean, I think you to for turnkeys to work, I think you have to best the one percent rule. I think it's got to be more like like one point two, one point two five percent. Meaning, am I doing the math right on that? Meaning, like I don't know if. The 1% rule being if you buy a house for 100 grand, you got to rent it for 100 bucks a month. I, I, I think if you buy a house for 100 grand, you want to be renting it for more like 1200 a month for turnkey to be more foolproof. Yeah. So 1.2% 1, 1. rule, I guess. So, and that that's just something you have to find. It's kind of hard to find. You know, if you can do it in your own backyard and manage it yourself, I think that's going to be a more foolproof plan and you're going to do better. Obviously, the best thing to do is to get fixer-upper deals, do do the rehabs, I don't know about yourself, but manage them yourself and do a value add essentially yourself on your own property, rent it out for more. And in, in the long run, you know, those are going to perform well, much better for you. But it's hard to find those deals. I mean, you it's like <laughs> everybody in the world is just getting postcard after postcard of like, I buy houses in your area. You know, like I want to buy your house all cash. I'll give you the greatest deal ever. It's like, it's really, it's really competitive. You know what I mean? To, to find these deals. I mean, even turnkey guys are like, some of the guys I follow and talk to, they're like, we just, we literally can't find the deals. So one of them is like, we're building new houses now to do turnkeys with essentially. Uh, in Florida. And honestly, in some sense, I'm like, 
I like that better, especially in Florida, because you get better insurance that way. It's, you know, it's a house built up to hurricane standards and all that sort of stuff. But literally on their pro forma, they put zero dollars in for expenses, you know, and 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 the cash on cash is only like five percent. And they're like, well, we're putting in zero expenses because it's a new house. It comes with a two year warranty. So and I'm like, okay, yeah. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, 5% catch on catch, that's pretty lean. Not much can go wrong there. But then again, you know, it's Florida and it's a grow. the state's kind of blowing up. Tons of people are coming here. If, it, if, you, if they're catching the right up and coming area, you know, you, you could do quite well on appreciation. So I don't know. It's just, it's just tougher right now. We'll see if that changes, you know. So, but, but I wouldn't not do it again. That is for sure. I mean, for honestly, for depends on who, who's listening to this. If it's a younger person versus like a more seasoned or older person with more money, it's like, you know, place number one is buy your own house. I I would say that. I think I do like, that's a little bit of a a debate. I don't know, in the ether, like in the blogosphere, I don't know why it shouldn't be, but I've done the math on that. And the math is overall incredibly compelling for owning your own house. And honestly, that was something that, you know, paid off just in spades for me and and actually showed me why I like real estate so much. You know, like it kind of proved to me that real estate I don't know. I just, it it could do so many things. It kind of got me on the real estate investing train, even more so than, than taking my, you know, investable cash and putting it in the stock market where, you know, you just don't know what's going on. I don't know. I was, I'm not a good stock person. The liquidity of the stock market, I always, you know, I'm that guy that gets nervous and like sells too early, but you can't do that in real estate, which is kind of a good thing. But it's like, you know, you know, I just don't, I don't know. you wouldn't do the stock market. So you're like, I don't know what Elon Musk is going to say next. You know, that's going to tank the stock. I just don't know anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't, I'm just hoping that, you know, they're doing a good job over there. I like real estate because of all the things I mentioned earlier, but it's a simple business. You know, I mean, it's, it's a property. There's not too much going on there. I own a house. I know what's going on in there. It's plumbing. It's electrical. It's HVAC. It's predictable. You can basically model it out and, you know, it, it'll work out pretty close. Like it just, it always felt kind of more secure to me, I guess, in terms of where I wanted to put my, my, my investable money. And it, it paid off. I mean, collectively, I tried to do, again, do the math and like how the properties perform. I do it pretty, meticulously. I, I like to say I do no gimmies accounting, essentially. <laughs> and I did a, like uh, an average kind of like a time time in and like, you know, a weighted average return waiting on, you know, the amount of investment versus total project price and also time in the project relative to other investments time in. And I came up with like an average compound return of like over 40% for my real estate. Now, granted, a lot of that was made in the commercial projects too, where I, where it was a value add situation from my point of view. It was like I was finding a place that needed to be fixed up and turned over to be like a creative office used from warehouse. We invested a lot of money, but we got, we got added a lot of value and made a lot of money with those projects. But, you know, real estate on, on the whole has performed really well for me and definitely was a huge contributor to being able to move and work less and do all the things that I mentioned that I do and did since, you know, leaving Los Angeles, you know, it, it allowed me to have the the cash to be able to feel comfortable in making that kind of change in my career. Nice. Nice. I love that. And your comment in particular about the liquidity of stocks enabling you to kind of do that panic sell, I think is really one of the biggest downsides of stock investing that is not discussed often enough. A lot of great knowledge in this one. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. 
Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Joe, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, I, I'm going to go back to my house, actually. Uh, <laughs> that you know, that first test, it took me a while to get in there, but I was able to refi it and, and pay off a lot of my, you know, credit card debt and stuff that, you know, I had amassed in my 20s because of that house. I was also able to take money out of that house and start a business. In the end, I, that was, I bought it in 2004. So luckily I, my, I was able to refi in those early, uh, you know, crazy lending days of 05 or 06 or 07. It went underwater, but no margin call in houses, right? <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I didn't have to leave. I just lived there. I enjoyed it. it. It made its way back, sold it for a very handsome profit and traded up into another house in Los Angeles that did even better. Um, and that, that little house really paid off in spades for me. So I always encourage people if, if they haven't bought the residence to seriously consider it. Nice. I love it. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Ah, the worst investment. Uh, <laughs> you know, I could luckily knock on wood. I uh, haven't had like too many disasters, but well, not in real estate. I wouldn't say it was like my worst investment, but it's it's one that we made that didn't pay off financially very well. My partners and I in our business, we like I said, we did entertainment and advertising. We're a post-production company, but we'd always invest in side projects, like to try to just have multiple irons in the fire and trying new things. And and we decided to create a comedy website, which still exists called Worldwide Interweb. And we grew it to a pretty good size audience. We were doing like over half a million unique visitors a month. But Turned out comedy websites are, are kind of hard to monetize effectively. And with our lack of knowledge, we just couldn't really monetize that thing into a profit for whatever reason. But we we put a good amount of money <laughs> into it. So it turned out to be not a great financial investment for us. Probably one of my my bigger losers financially. But I learned a ton about, you know, websites and so on that actually I employ in my own blog today. And, uh, you know, 
these days we put it in the hands of another person to run and it dishes off a little bit of revenue here and there. So it was, it was a good learning experience, but not a big financial win. Interesting. Okay. But you turn it into uh, something positive in the end. So oh, yeah. I appreciate well, you that. Know, you get lessons from the winners and the losers. Totally. My favorite question here at the end of the show, speaking of lessons, is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business, excuse me, in business and investing? If I can talk right. Well, I do consider real estate uh, more like a business almost than, than an investment. And I guess back to what I was just saying about doing the website, like I think it's important as a business owner or someone that wants to be entrepreneurial to have you know, multiple irons in the fire, so to speak, you know, I I mean, in my case, we always had like this primary thing that was a revenue driver that was working well, but we were always looking for new ways to leverage the investments we had already made in our business. So we made a documentary, we made the website, we did a whole bunch of other side projects. Some of those things really evolved and turned into whole new lines of income for us that we didn't actually expect. And while I was doing all that, I personally, because I liked real estate, was investing in real estate along along the way. And that was yet another iron in the fire, you know, I guess, uh, from my point of view. And, you know, not only did it pay off well, but it's, you know, producing income for me, you know, in this new state. And now, like, I get to help people and guide people to go down that road and, you know, hopefully skip the line a little bit and, and avoid a few mistakes. So... Have multiple things going on in your life, you know? Don't rely on one thing. Nice, nice. I like that. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us today, bringing us all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to read more of your writing or follow what you're doing or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, yeah, totally. You can go to my website, playladder.com. I mean, I got a ton of free info there, a lot of uh, articles I've written and also articles that other folks write with me all about personal finance, small business, and investing, what I call the the three pillars to success. And uh, I also have some free courses there and then also some paid courses. If you like what you see and you want to learn more, you can maybe dive into one of those. And, And then, of course, as I mentioned, I do coaching and also CFO work. So lots of cool stuff to check out there. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and uh, catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.